Hello. Oh, you're on mute now. Oh, Ben, there it's we go. so hard to learn how to podcast. There's <sighs> all these buttons. You got to plug everything right. You got to, oh, you got to, you got to remember to unmute if you want anyone to hear you. Podcasting is hard. Podcasting, it's, it's not, it's not for the faint hearted. You know, we should have got a PPP loan. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> if we, if we got to, do you think that if, if <laughs> I know the answer to this question, but if had had we got a PPP loan, do you think we would also be out in the the interwebs um, talking about how unfair it is that um, student loans have been forgiven, and then the, and the White House Twitter <laughs> account might have called us on our hypocrisy? Do you? Do you, that's a long question, but I I think the answer is no to many of those segments of the question. <laughs> Should we have gotten a PPP loan? I think the answer is no, because no. Ben, I don't know. Here's the thing: like pod, making podcasts is not that hard. Um, well, it's it's hard, but it's not that. It's the kind of thing that you you can do during a pandemic. But right. also, since we have a podcast that we don't actually make money at, and we don't pay ourselves, it would have been kind of weird to get a loan <laughs> for zero. <laughs> it would have been. And, and I, it would have been a very, a very um, inexpensive loan. We probably don't need a loan for zero. Um, <laughs> well, but here's the thing. If we had gotten a loan, you know, we could have given ourselves a salary. Well, true. But I, I think that was, is, is that how that worked? Um, that, that if, you know, I, I don't know enough about the, about the PPP. Um, I don't, I don't either. <laughs> so can I, uh, all right. This this is actually gets into something that I did want to tell you about. Um, th so I uh, I've been away for for quite some time. Like I feel like I've been I've been on hiatus. I've been on personal hiatus that I that I stepped away from my from my work my work job, and that includes podcasting for so long that it feels like I might have retired, and now I'm back, and 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 it like I I mean I was I was gone. Um, over two weeks, almost two and a half weeks. And then I, I eased back into the world of work and I really haven't caught up on anything <laughs> at all, <laughs> at all. Like I've, I just start, I've erased almost three weeks of my life and just said, well, I'm sure there are things that are important that happened in those three weeks. And if they're really important, someone will let me know a second or third time. And then I will, I will do it, which is a terrible way to approach life. Right. Um, so, but okay, this is the, this is the start of where I wanted to go during the time that I stepped away on my personal hiatus and <laughs> it was really a vacation with no internet or cell phone coverage. Um, I, I listened to a, a, a series of podcasts, which I had downloaded on my phone, including a fascinating podcast on, um, the rise of workplace surveillance from mm. the the New York Times the daily do you are you are you familiar with that uh, with that podcast I am vaguely familiar with it yes not not this episode that I'm going to speak of but that I've that heard podcast. let's just let's just say for the sake of discussion I've heard of that podcast it, yeah um it's uh Michael Babaro uh is the is the name of the the uh the podcast host 
Oh gosh! Oh, no. I've I've heard of, he was on Welcome Back, Cotter, right? Yeah, Vinny Barbaro. Vinny Vinny Bar- <laughs> Vinny. He's he was a sweat hog. My, yeah. My, yeah. Hey. Hey. Um, hey. So what was what was terrifying was that as we were talking about um <laughs> as we were talking about this, Michael Barbaro's voice erupted into my headphones because I clicked on something <laughs> on the website. Um, so anyway, I've sent you a link. There is a fascinating, it's, I, I like most of the daily, not every episode is, is phenomenal. Um, but this one was really interesting. It was about, um, technology being used to study productivity of employees in a way that they know, but they're also then being compensated on it, which was a bit of a surprise for a couple of people that were interviewed in the, in the episode. Mm. So anyway, that's not what I wanted to tell you about. It's fascinating, but there's a turns out in this episode, which is that really never gets fully resolved, but that many podcasting companies like you and I, right? The PPP. We're a podcasting company. Apparently they are using surveillance for their podcasting employees um, to see how productive they are, including editors and all the other people that are, that make podcasts, which is Wait not really minute. how we is, work. Is, is this is this your not so subtle way to let me know that you've been tracking me? <laughs> I wish, <laughs> I wish that that was the case. No, I I was not tracking anything. Um, That's good because I, I I don't track I don't track what you do for our podcast at all. Um, and. But it's well established fact that you're not very productive. No, I'm very unproductive. I don't, I don't need software to tell me that. No, no, not at all. So, um, th- this this does. Uh, th- so I need. I-, I will read you from the transcript. Transcript, okay? Because it was a. It turns out that never got resolved. Um. Mm. Uh. So uh, the person that Michael Barbaro is interviewing, her name is Jody Cantor. Uh, Jody says. Let's talk more about examples that are much more in workers' faces. For example, radiologists who, as they're doing their work, right up there on their screen, they're seeing a scoreboard. It's showing them their inactivity time and also how their productivity stacks up against other colleagues. Okay, so Michael Bavaro says, oh, wow. And this is the part that I thought was hilarious. Then Jody Cantor says, and this is an issue in the world of podcasting. And all, and Michael Barrow butts in and says, excuse me, uh, Jody says, I'll tell you, not here, but there's a very popular hiring platform called Upwork. This is for knowledge workers, skilled workers, everybody from accountants to graphic designers to podcast producers. And one of the way that Upwork manages the freelancer employer relationship is through the screenshots every 10 minutes that are a lot like ones that she talked about earlier in the podcast. That's basically a, a, a video or, or a, a screenshot of what's what someone's looking at, plus a picture from the camera to see if the person is actually at their um, their computer. Anyway, that was it. The, the, basically, that the, this is happening elsewhere. And I just want, when I heard about that, I made a note to say, I want to make sure that that everyone knows that you and I are not screenshotting each other's <laughs> podcasting work. We are not tracking this. Um, and maybe it's obvious based on the outputs of what we have for our podcast. But it was it, it was like weird. <laughs> Even in podcasts, there's surveillance of employers. Yeah, yeah that's, looking at that's, stuff. That's so messed up, Ben. We, you know, 
I I have become, as I think I've shared on this podcast, I have become radicalized. Um, oh, you I am are a raging, raging socialist. Um, every we should all these people should form unions. They should all rise up. We should we should seize the means of production. Um, yeah, because this is just this is just nonsense. I, I will say I don't I don't so much track my productivity in terms of podcasting, but I do have a spreadsheet um, where I track like where I am with what I've done. Like yeah. to get ready for the next episodes of Risky or Not, right? Outputs. And like, so for, yeah, but yeah, but I, but I, that's just for me to be organized so that I can continue to make this free podcast that we give out into the world um, while we sit at our university jobs, um, some of which are unionized. I am a member, a proud member of, uh, of a union at my university. And uh, yeah, so. Take that big podcast. Take that. Yeah. We're not, neither of us are in the pocket of big podcasts. No and, way. And no by way. big podcast, we mean us. We're <laughs> neither of us are in our own pocket. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, anyway, I, this, this is, it's homework for you as a, as a uh, podcast listener, you Don, not our, the rest of the listeners. <laughs> I'm not talking to our actual listeners. It's, this was a fascinating 33 minute mm-hmm. episode. It's worth listening to. Um, And it's, it's like, things that I had no idea were, were happening and how like really goes into why they were created and then how they've almost been misused post pandemic. Cause a lot of the technology and I, and by post pandemic, I mean, during the pandemic post start of pandemic where people are working from home. Um, but much of the technology was developed before 2020 and it just became like employed while this this movement to to work from home happened and it's i I just it's really interesting that's 34 minutes that's going to make me really angry yes yes it will really really thankful that again that i have a a union job with tenure and nobody tell i i work hard because i want to work hard right and right right and and it 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 really on a meta level, I thought about how could this even work in a university setting with, with faculty. And it, it's just, it's not, it could not, it's not like, it's not built. That's not even the world that we're in is like efficiency of, of doing work. Right. Like it's, it's, and that I'll, I'll tell you the way it works. What, what happens is that the interval is five years from when you're hired. Um, and if you have not been productive in those five years by getting research grants and publishing papers, you don't get tenure. But if you do, then if you are productive, then you do get tenure. And then from there, you're pretty much on your own. Right. If you want to get if you want to get promoted, you keep working hard. If you want to coast, you can do that. Uh, and that's academic freedom. And again, it's not it's not without its problems. Um, there are people that perhaps should retire that um don't retire and that's a problem but yeah yeah and um i had a like a really i don't know interesting to me conversation with my with my in-laws about this um because we were you know we spent don we spent a lot of time together um we we spent eight conversations days. Conversations are going to have to happen. A lot of we're a lot of talking. Uh, eight days in um a cabin, a log cabin with uh with with water, um that was that was running that was lake water, electricity, but no internet or cell phone coverage really. 
to like 3G cell phone coverage, which I would 95% of the time, my I could not download my email on it. So right. oh yes. And you would get text messages in bursts as, in as bursts. the internet winds blew the <laughs> the, the, the the Wi-Fi uh, or the the three G five G in your direction, right? It was it was phenomenal. Um. So anyway, during the, these these you know these times with family, we we talked a lot about my what I do now as a as a department head, not a department chair, which is a different position. I'd like to remind you, Don, and the only oh people, believe and, me, I know, and the only people that care are department heads. Um, and maybe chairs. Um, and then uh, we we talked like we talked about um, a perception of professor post tenure, all professor productivity going going down from from my my in-laws and and the their circle of of people around them, where it's like what we should be getting rid of the tenure process because what what's the incentive for someone to do anything new once they, are protected by tenure. And I, and you know, it, it kind of spent a bunch of time, I don't know, debunking that. Like, like there's, there's lots of, I think there's lots of jobs where productivity changes over time. Um, the, the tenure process isn't about protecting someone. So they, if they don't want to do their job anymore, they can stop. It's about protecting sort of the, the academic viewpoint freedom. And, and, mm-hmm. but, but there's still, I mean, I, I, I would assume at your, your university and there, there's still a post tenure review and the outputs are still important. And that, um, you know, the, I, I've not, I've not experienced this from an administrative standpoint, but I certainly know of examples within my university and other universities where someone has gotten, you know, tenure and has become a full professor and their productivity has slowed down. And and there's a a reckoning meeting or a series of reckoning meetings from administrators saying like this you, you got to keep doing stuff like and 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 so that people get put on performance plans and and all those those types of um, things and so anyway having that conversation with my with my in laws in light of listening to this podcast about productivity was really I thought I don't know it was an in it was an interesting place to be in where it's like, you know, yeah, there are ways to artificially track and watch what people do, but it doesn't maybe tell you that they're actually producing outputs anyway. And I will present to you as you, as you think about that, I'll present to you a link, Don, um, mm. that where I learned something about this uh, from that episode of, of the daily um, where we might measure things like, activity on a screen and whether someone is quote moving their mouse because that's what some of the software does but mm-hmm. but don um if you go on amazon you might be able to find oh hundreds of mouse jigglers <laughs> <laughs> and what 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 do you do you know about the mouse jiggler don i, I didn't now. know about it i didn't know anything about this no, no. So, so in like really to combat the productivity tracking, there's an entire market of uh, hardware that can be plugged into a computer that is, um, I will uh, read from one of the uh, mouse jigglers, uh, mouse jiggler, undetectable metal USB mouse mover with switch button, 
automatic Minnie Mouse shaker with two jiggle modes, <laughs> driver free, plug and play, keep computer laptop awake with type C adapter black. So, so with every, uh, with every mouse tracking software that gets produced, a mouse jiggler also gets produced is, is where, what I'm, what I'm seeing here. Wow. Right. Like I had no yeah. idea. I, I live in a, I, and I, I, I live in a different world where then, uh, where I would need a mouse jiggler or a mouse mover. Yeah. That's, that's, that's amazing. Well, I mean, you know, and that's, that's uh capitalism, right? I mean, it, it, capitalism is bad, you know, union's good. Um, but Hey, you know, capitalism can also give us mouse jigglers. <laughs> right, 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 right. And, and what better way to, um, I guess to adjust, no, to respond to someone tracking your, your movements, than to purchase a $14, um, mouse jiggler and say, aha, Haha, I I see your surveillance and I raise you a my mouse is moving. And and <laughs> anyway, these are the things I learned while I was on vacation slash hiatus. Well, so I just wanna I wanna kind of close the loop on this. And this is something I've mentioned to you before, and I'm sure I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I really think that it, because essentially the solution that I'm about to propose is is essentially the solution that you are using for your email, but not fully implemented. Okay. okay. And this is an article from the Atlantic um, entitled the most honest out of office message. Okay. Some weeks ago, I emailed a professor to ask for an interview for a story. Seconds later, I got his out of office response. I'm out of the office and I expect to only have infrequent email access. The message said, oh, pretty standard stuff. He'd respond to my email when he returned. Then I kept reading. Thank you for your message. Email received between these dates will be deleted from this server eight hours from now. Please send your message again after this date. Oh, I love See, this. That's that's what you need to implement, right? Yeah. Because what that says is I have I preemptively declared email bankruptcy. <laughs> right? Like yes. I'm going away. Your message is going to get deleted. If this is really important to you, you'll figure out a way to send it back to me again when I'm back. When I'm back, yeah. So my, uh, I, you know, Google allows me to go back and look at what I have uh, said for my vacation response, mm -hmm. and this is, and I use the the same one, and I, and this changed for me, I think probably when I became a department head, mm -hmm. um, because I, I for quite some time I just didn't have a bounce back message. Mm -hmm. And then I started to to put one on because it, it was important. I thought to let people know that I will not be getting back to them quickly. And so, so what I write is because or at all, perhaps. Yeah, right, right, right. Or at all. Um, so I, what I initially had was, hello, I'm unavailable through X date. I may be checking emails in the evenings, but if not, I will respond when I return. Right. So mm -hmm. what that led to, and I have now made an amendment to this was that people would get my bounce back and, and think that they were having a conversation with me because it just said <laughs> I'm unavailable. And, and I would get a message saying, Oh, no problem. But if you could, could you look at this tonight? Or, um, yeah, thanks for letting me know. I look forward to hearing from you later. Like they're having a conversation, right, a conversation with a bot. robot. <laughs> yeah. And so now my, my message says, hi, this is an automatic message. I'm unavailable. <laughs> please do not. I'm preemptively saying, please do not respond to this. 
because right. I will not be looking looking at it. Um, but I do like the, the that's a that that declaring email bank, bankruptcy is that's a that's a bold move, right? It like is. this, yeah. I'm not just just don't uh, you know, d- please don't don't think that I will be looking at this. Send it again after this date, right? I had so um, I did have someone who contacted me a couple of times and got my bounce back message and then kept respond respond like sending other messages who I I finally said hey I'm not I'm not going to be able to meet with you this week like it's not it's not even possible I have no like I'm I have no yeah. internet um yeah. and then um this individual did a wonderful thing and sent me a message today and said uh, you know have you come up for air I gave you some space I know you came back last week I'd really like to connect with you can we connect soon and it was like, yes, because I had fully forgotten that I was going to respond to you. So, so you thank thank you for preemptively managing me with right, like that. Yeah. It, was, it was great. It was perfect. So, oh, so yeah, vacation um, away, no internet, no email. Um, the biggest thing, Don, on on this that I that I thought was funny was that my twelve year old said. Um, when we got to this, to this cabin, uh, that was in the middle of nowhere that had no cell coverage, he said, what, what's the Wi-Fi password, right? Like, cause every, that is his most, uh, I would say off most oft used question. If mm-hmm. I, if I was to just co- like collect questions from him mm-hmm. throughout his life and, and it is every time we go somewhere, it is something that he asks. And so I said, oh, well, there is no Wi-Fi password. And his response was, oh, cool. So it's an unsecured network. <laughs> exactly. And, and I <clears throat> there's no Wi-Fi password because there's no Wi-Fi. Yeah. And I had to yeah. I had to make him understand that. And then his look of from elation to, oh, good, I don't need to remember what the password is, to disappointment that there was no Wi-Fi whatsoever was was uh was quite a look on his face. Yes. Yeah. So, so Don, I need, I need, I'm going to ask you for some help today. Okay. Um, what's, uh, I need to catch up. I need what's going on in the world of food safety. What should I know about? Give me, give me the, uh, you know, give me, give me the, the 10 minute version of what I missed in the last three weeks. Anything good? Well, well people still getting, have we solved food safety? Like have we, well, can we move on to something else now? Well, there's, there's, there's one thing that's most definitely not good. Oh. You most definitely know about it. Yeah. And, and I feel like we should say something here on the podcast. And that is that a person that we have talked about before on the podcast, um, who has, you know, really been just one of the, one of the good ones, as we say in food safety, our friend, uh, Brian Nimmer passed away, um, suddenly. And it's, this kind of sent shockwaves through the food safety world, um, and we're all, I mean, I'm still thinking about it like every day, multiple times a day. And it, it's good to know though, that, I mean, we, I mean, he's, and he would had a very, was very busy as, as an academic, but he also had a very, very, uh, prolific side hustle as a consultant. And a number of us are coming together to try to make sure that all of the projects that he was working on can, can get picked up and we can continue on kind of the, the work that he was doing so that these companies out there can be can be safe. And so I did I did want to sort of acknowledge his his passing and and we'll put a link to his university page um, and maybe to his consulting page as well. 
um just because uh yeah it's just it's just a com comes as a complete shock and is really really sad news for the world of food safety it's yeah it's it's terrible um i i got a message from one of our um common friends um the someone who knew uh brian and, and you and i uh sometime this weekend that that was like have you have you seen this and it was a screenshot of a um a post on linkedin that that didn't didn't have a lot of details but just said you know someone who who had said i'm I, you know I'm, I'm really sad today because of the passing of my my good friend brian um and uh and it was it was it was shocking it's like one of those things that um makes you just you know think about um the just the, the relationships that we make and and you know we we don't you know, you and I have this, this, I think really cool thing where we get to talk to each other a lot and get, we, we definitely over the last decade, know we know each other really, really well. Um, we, you cultivate these relationships with others in our field where, you know, you see someone once a year or, or two or three times a year at different meetings. And then you might exchange a bunch of emails on specific uh, projects and, 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 but you, you get to feel like, you know, those people too. And Brian was like, one of those, one of those people, um, I, I most recently, uh, remember having a, a, a pretty lengthy conversation with him when you and I were at the AFTO meeting that we recorded a, an episode at in, uh, um, June, this, this past June in, in Phoenix, um, in the Phoenix area, I guess, Glendale. And, uh, I, I sat and talked with Brian in the, in the hotel lobby for about 45 minutes, like as he was waiting for his room and I was hanging out there just about life and family and what, you know, the types of projects he's been working on and how things are going in, in his life. And he asked me about what I was doing in, in my administrative role and how things were going food safety. But, you know, you, you build these relationships and, and strong friendships over time. And, and I think you never... <clears throat> And I, you know, you never really think, oh, that's the the you know, last really in depth conversation that I'm going to have with that person. And it's yeah. uh, it's very, I'm, I'm with you on on this. Where I've thought a lot about Brian um, in the last uh, five or six days, and and it's it's a it's just a a very sad situation um, for for everybody. So yeah, yeah. So uh, you know that that that. Uh, Thanks to to Brian for and for for his his impactful career as well. Just being being part of the world of um, retail food safety and such a big part of the conference for food protection and and there for um, good cynical um, comments at almost every IAFP and other meeting that I that I uh, attended with him. So it's yeah, it's I'm just it's a so it's it's a sad it's sad. What what else um what else has happened on in the last well, um, in the last three weeks? We, we have well, we have anything I, else? I I do have a pink sauce update. Oh oh, give me give me more because so I, I yeah I got nothing. Yeah, pink so sauce is, is dead to me apparently, yeah. or I'm dead to pink sauce. <laughs> I think that I think that's what you mean. Yeah. Um, so or and maybe maybe vice versa too if you're if you're upset about it. Um. So this is a pink sauce update from Monday August eighth. Um, and this message is coming from the Dave's Gourmet team. Okay. Okay. And I'm not sure who the Dave's Gourmet 
team is, but <laughs> the Dave's Gourmet team writes, we are helping Chef Pie produce her pink sauce. We are proud to be able to offer our years of experience to help bring pink sauce to market safely. Chef Pie has a unique product, and we are happy to lend a helping hand to a fellow entrepreneur. We think pink is the way to go. So there's that. Well, well, I look forward to the the Dave's. What is it? The Dave's group? The Dave's. It's not the Dave's what I gourmet just, team. The Dave's it's gourmet. Not, team. It's not the YouTube video that you just sent to me, <laughs> which is one of my favorite kids in the hall sketches um, called "The Dave's I Know," where Bruce McCullough sings a song um, where he talks about all the Dave's that he knows, and they all join him in this video. It's it's a delightful uh, link. Um, yeah, but the Dave's gourmet team is different uh, from, yeah, from that. And, and Those are Dave's we don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so this is, and if you go to davesgourmet.com, um, I think that's the uh, that that's the 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 the, the, the actual Dave's team, and they are. Um, uh, if you go to the About Us page, uh, it's uh, Dave uh, Hirschkop is the founder and creative force behind behind Dave's Gourmet. Um, and basically they make, uh, sauces. So, you know, the pink sauce should fit right in. <laughs> right. They, they, yep. They make, they make hot, hot sauce. sauce, hot sauce. Yeah. Yep. The pink, pink, we, we make all the sauces, pasta, um, barbecue and pink. Um, so they, apparently Dave drives a forklift or something. Yeah. Um, these are, uh, you can get them at uh, many stores uh in the in the store lo locator i i just put in um my uh my postal code and uh looks like i can i could probably get some some dave sauces uh at a at a couple of uh small uh uh, uh grocery stores well not small but like uh, uh sprouts uh grocery store do you have those do you have the sprout it's called so. sprouts farmers market but it's it's really sprouts grocery store because they got some dave sauces yeah. I'll, I'll see. I'll see. I'm gonna. I'm gonna find the nearest Dave's to me, um, mm. or the near the nearest place to get Dave's sauce. So, oh, apparently uh, I can't get it. <laughs> well, um. Oh wait, no, it's not true. I, I just their website is crap. Um, yeah, it looks like I can. Oh, I can get it at Acme, but not the Acme that's by me. Um, yeah, that looks like there's a few places that are close-ish. Um, Miles Market. Uh, Royal Quality Group, Acme, Whole Earth, another Acme, King's Foods. Um, yeah, so like 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 a mix of different stores. Yeah. Um, so uh, I did see an update on this yesterday. There was a Pop Sugar article that's actually linked on the um, uh, Dave's uh, website to really the the ongoing question that you and I like to talk about which is pink sauce sounds awesome is it safe to eat um and don i mean chef pie chef pie is 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 quite uh quite a personality um chef pie in an interview said i'm like this i'm i'm like this is the madonna this is the beyonce of those sauces that that's where pink sauce is the madonna and um, and, and Beyonce of the, of all the sauces. Uh, well, you know, I, we wish, we wish her the best, Ben. We want her to succeed and uh, maybe, maybe Dave's gourmet team will help. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I feel that uh, someone like Dave's 
all the Daves that that are making sauces. Um, they, they they seem to have a history of being able to make sauce uh, legally because it is in commerce, um, and they sell through grocery stores. So that's so that's also good. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of like almost all of the Dave's Gourmet, um, news stories are are related to pink sauce. The, pink sauce might be the biggest thing ever to happen to Dave's. Th- these are the Dave's I know gourmet sauces. <laughs> might be might be um so so we've got we've got pink sauce updates um there are people like you know so, don are, are people still getting sick from food are we they, they is that are, still a thing are, well get getting getting sick from food or having uh recalls so so this is a good one so this um this comes from a friend of the show john uh, that's John with no H, uh, John K, uh, we'll call him. And he said, uh, I submitted several comments to you too recently. Apologies for the additional inbox clutter. I saw this today and I thought it was really interesting. So I wanted to shoot it your way. Recall notifications aren't typically this forthcoming and transparent. I think this is great communication on the part of the company. And he quotes, our allergen control procedures were not followed after an egg containing product was run through the filler. Once this mistake was discovered, a recall was initiated and customers who had already received the product were contacted. Preventative actions have been taken, including better labeling of the product tanks to prevent human error and additional employee allergen training. And this is a uh, Royal Crest Dairy recall of uh, two uh, chocolate milk due to undeclared egg. Hmm. So interesting. Um, I'll, I'll send you the FDA link. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, John, uh, John liked this. Uh, and I, I think it's, a, you know, we should, we often will call out people for like doing stuff that's bad, but we also want to call out people uh, for doing stuff that's good. Yeah, yeah, this, exactly. And, you know, I had, a, I had a conversation with a journalist yesterday who's really interested in um, the, <laughs> the evergreen question, Don, of are we seeing more recalls? Is food getting safer or less safe? You know, it's like the something that comes out almost on a weekly basis when someone discovers that foodborne illness is a thing, and um, the you know that um, this Royal Crest uh, recall um, to to me is one of those good examples of hey, the system's working right. Like, and and here here we go. We're 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 doing a good job of trying to pull this stuff back because we. Um, because we found a problem with it and we're trying to communicate why, why we're doing it. So that's, those are, these are good things. Um, so I, I, I have, I have some more, I, I, I've got, there's a bunch of, of feedback. I just really like to crank through. Let's do it. Okay. So, um, this is <clears throat> feedback from, uh, the risky or not, uh, podcast. Of course, that podcast does not have it in the format to do feedback. So if people have feedback on those episodes, um, uh, they have to send it to us and we have to cover it on this podcast. So, um, and th- this was the, the episode on hydrogen swells. Okay. Yep. And so this is a message from the always amazing and wonderful Carl Custer. <clears throat> and I think because, and for those of you who are not blessed with having Carl send you emails, his emails are, I wouldn't call them a work of art unless it's maybe like, um, who is that guy that would just do the paintings where he would just splash paint on a canvas? Uh, Jackson Pollock. 
Jackson Pollock. Yeah. yeah Carl's yeah. Carl's emails are kind of like Jackson Pollock. So I'll, uh, I'll just read, I'll just read the email verbatim. Okay. So remember this is in response to an episode about swollen can. Okay. But the hydrogen and the metal salts long, long ago, swollen cans of Polish keep refrigerated cans arrived at my lab. <clears throat> I sampled no growth at 35 C growth at room temperature. Microscopic exams show abundant bugs. Decided to test for hydrogen. Popped a can, Pullman 21 pound can, while holding a Fisher burner. There was a four foot blue jet flame. <laughs> glad, <laughs> glad the can was firmly seated on a bench with no flammables above it. Psychotrophic clostridium. Had a fun chat with the Polish microbiologist 25 years later. So... <laughs> Um, <laughs> Don, I'm not so, sure that now is that so a haiku can, that he wrote? Can you, can you, uh, can I, I did the easy part of reading the message. Can you, can you deconstruct that for us or would you like me to try? I feel like what Carl is trying to tell us is that yes, <laughs> we were correct that it might be hydrogen that is swelling the can, and he had an experience where his face almost blew off, um, while opening it opening a swollen can um next uh, you know next to a burner um but i'm not really sure with the how to fun chat with the polish microbiologist 25 years later means but i i mean that's that's the no. kind of thing that keeps us coming back but 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 here's the thing so i am reminded so i've stopped listening to this week in virology um, for the most part, because they just don't understand risk or dose response. But I still do listen to the clinical updates with Daniel Griffin. And one of the things that Daniel has taken to saying on that podcast, which I think is fantastic, is he, he quotes John uh, Hickam. And, and Hickam's dictum, uh, reading from the internet here, is usually stated as, quote, patients can have as many diseases as they damn well please. And so the reason why I'm, I'm bringing this up is I think the point that Carl was making is, yes, this can had a hydrogen swell, but it also had microbial spoilage. Right, so right. You can yeah. have those two things at the same time, which is kind of his way of saying, yes, this could have, you, you can't, and, and the point, it's a good point, right? You can't, you can't say that because this had evidence of a hydrogen swell, um, doesn't mean that it didn't also have microbial spoilage, yeah. which which yeah. I think is was a, a really a, a really nice uh, point. Yeah, it's it, it's yes and is that yes and exactly yes. yeah that, that did I use that internet term correctly? Yes, I think it's, I did. It's a it's a a, a, a comedy improv. Yes, and yes, you did. Yes. Okay. Good. Good. Um, yeah, and uh, and and I as always enjoy. I, I feel like I, I don't respond to Carl enough. Um, Carl is prolific, but I love that he, I mean, truthfully, Don, I love that he thinks of us, right? Like I love that, oh, yeah. that he is, um, he's such a wealth of historical knowledge and insight that he thinks, Hey, you know, let me share this um, little, little tidbit. And well, his, and, yeah, he's, he's so and, good. And again, not to be maudlin, um, but, someone really i'm absolutely serious someone needs to build an ai and download all of carl's brain okay because yes. there's a lot in there um and maybe maybe that's what he's trying to do with all of these emails and so hopefully we'll just maybe my my microsoft outlook will become the carl custer ai 
um, you know, if we just put enough emails in. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is good. And that, um, and I'm a, uh, isn't it a good thing that I'm not just deleting emails uh, if I'm away because, well, because no, but he's, he always sends it to more than one person. True. True. Yep. I will, I will often reply only to him just to keep everyone else's inboxes down a little bit, but yes, I will. Okay. I don't, I try, I try not to acknowledge every email, um, but I, I do try to occasionally have some witty, witty feedback that goes just, just to him and just, maybe sometimes just to you too. Yeah. Yeah. He's so uh, I, He's a great, he's a great guy. He is. He is. He's one of the, one of the, one of the originals, um, one of the OG. Is that, am I using that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. You're using that term correctly. Yeah. Um, so we've had a couple of really nice pieces of feedback on our soaking rice risky or not episode. And so I do want to, the first one is just a, an, in, an interesting one that I, I don't think is going to require too much discussion, but this, the second one, the more recent one might require more discussion. And so this is um, feedback from James who writes, uh, just an aside that I didn't did they didn't hear mentioned regarding overnight soaking of rice and how common it is isn't and could perhaps lead to extrapolating risks from reporting cases or missing cases some varieties of Mexican horchata that's h o r c h a t a involve soaking rice for extended periods and there are quite a few recipes that also recommend overnight at room temperature, whereas more high profile sites like Food Network do tend to recommend under four hours or in the fridge. And he gives us a link to tastesbetterfromscratch.com slash horchata. And so have you, do you, have you even heard of horchata? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, and um, we, I've, I, not only have I heard of it, I've, I've consumed it. Um, the, I don't like maybe not a traditional one, but at a, um, Mexican restaurant and at a, um, another Latin restaurant here in, in Raleigh, but I don't think it's Mexican. I, I'm not sure exactly what it is. Um, but yeah, yeah I've, I've had horchata. It's not my, it's not my favorite. Uh, but yeah, yeah I'm, I'm familiar with it. And I think it's a, like it, it's a fermented rice drink, right? Like that, that, um, the, the soaking of the rice, I think there, there's, there's some sort of growth that's happening in horchata. Yeah, on on purpose. Ooh. Like, um, let me look. Yeah, at that least sounds the, gross. Yeah, at least the one that I've had. Um, yeah, I've been the, yeah from so yeah yeah you go, um, keep keep going. So have you not have you had it or have you heard no. heard of this? No, oh. and I nor will I ever. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's not really my thing. Oof. Um, so. Uh, yeah, white one cup of white rice, one cinnamon stick broken in half, six cups of water, and a half a cup of raw honey, and uh, heat it. Let it simmer for ten minutes. Remove uh, from heat, and then allow it to sit, sit overnight. Um, but Ooh, so heat it to to wipe out those vegetative organisms, but activate the spores. Yeah, yeah. Oof. Combine the strained rice mixture here. Uh, Hard pass. Um, Strained rice mixer mixture with raw honey, covered with a permeable lid such as clean cloth or coffee filter, secured with a cannon ring, rubber band. Leave it to ferment to, for four to seven days, or just until it begins to taste tangy. You may also see hints of bubbles beginning to form. It may separate. Don't worry if it does. Stir it back together. Once fermented, this concentrate can be used straight away. Stored at room temperature for up to a week, and it will get tangier. Or refrigerated and stored for one to two months. So, 
Yeah. Um, I may, I mean, maybe we need to do a little, I'm going to send you that link. Yes. Yeah. Send me that. Send me that. Link. Done. Yep. <clears throat> Thanks. Um, and, and then the, the other, the other, uh, mother earth living. Yes. Where I go for all my food safety advice. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, and then do, do you want to keep talking about horchata or can we move on to other uh, were, grain I'm, soaking? I'm here with, I'm here for you. You, you go wherever you want okay. to go. All right. So this is a, uh, a Twitter DM from Soupy, um, uh, S-O-U-P-Y, uh, who, who has DM me a couple times. Okay. So Soupy writes, soaking uncooked grains. Okay. This one worries me. I'm specifically thinking about bread dough, freshly milled, home milled, whole grain wheat, wheat, sorry, freshly milled, home milled, whole grain wheat, water, salt, a very tiny amount of yeast left to ferment overnight on the counter or in the fridge or a combination of the two. At what point does the risk get too high? The idea of a long, slow fermentation is that the dough becomes more nutritious as the yeast and bacteria work on the dough. We know that the commercial recipes with extremely short ferments are not healthy. So, I mean, there's a little bit of editorializing there um, and I'm not really sure that the science would support the claims that Soupy is making regarding health, okay? But I guess the question is, Ben, um <laughs> risky or not um we'll have to maybe we could do this one on that podcast but let's do a pre a pre a pre-test here so uh long ferment long room temperature fermentation of bread dough risky or not yeah i mean i i think it's i think it's not risky okay why so i think there's um a ph change that's helpful that's happening i think that in this example there's salt as well that that's that's helping to to select and again it's you know from from soupy's recipe it's not we don't really have a good understanding of exactly what the salt concentration is but i think from when i've looked at bread dough in the past that's been a uh you know a, a a um risk reduction factor in in this and then you know we talked about the in in the risky not episode about um, you know, heat stable toxins, but from a vegetative standpoint, the baking of that bread, um, mm. is, is, is also going to really, uh, impact the, um, you know, make it, make it, make it safe. Um, well, safer, right. Safer. But yeah. Heat stable yeah. bacillus serious toxin, right? Right. Right. So that, yeah. But I guess, I guess the salt and the pH is really going to help right. there. That that's my thought. Okay. Uh, that's fine. I mean, yeah. Yeah. and we, we don't hear a lot about, no. um, people getting sick from these products, you know, but again, yeah. Yeah. Well, and the, um, according to sourdough.co.uk, the sourdough school, the center of research and education, nutrition, digestibility of bread and the gut microbe. I think we've talked about this group before for some reason. Mm. I, I remember looking at this website. Um, mm -hmm. They they suggest that the sour sourdough pH, the dough itself, is somewhere in between three point five and five. So five's a little bit high for for my liking. But didn't mm -hmm. we talk about Bacillus cereus not really liking that high, that low of a like that high and low of a pH? Like needed to be above five five three or five five or something. Could be, I, yeah, I don't remember, but yeah, you could be right. Something, something like that. And again, no, you know who will let us know for sure is Carl Custer. 
Um, so, um, yeah, I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts? Are you worried about that? Like Bacillus serious issue in the sourdough bread? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I guess it really, it really depends upon, I mean, I, again, I would like to see some science and we, I did link to, I will, we will link to, uh, a book chapter in trends in wheat and bread making uh, entitled composition and activity of microbiota in sourdough and their effect on bread quality and safety. Um, and I recognize the, the middle author, Michael Ganzel, um, who is um, um, often helps me out with reviews for uh, journals uh, that I'm an editor of. And so uh, there is, I don't know if the, yeah, it looks like the whole, the whole, I'd have to log in. Oh, I have to, yeah, I have to log in through Rutgers to get access to the PDF, but they do have a section on food safety or traditional sourdough products. So, um, so there is, there's probably some information out there, uh, in, in the literature. So, I mean, I guess it, it all depends upon, it depends on the level of salt, right. And it depends upon it, whether you have yeast that are, are active, right. Uh, oh, and you just sent me a nice link on survival and growth of bacillus and bread. So thank you for that. You're welcome. And this, so again, I'm, I'm looking at, it's an old one, 1986. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, bread doughs artificially inoculated with spores of six bacillus cereus strains at different inoculum levels. Mm -hmm. No cereus was isolated from the center crumb of 400. And when, you know, as soon as someone uses the term center crumb, Don, you know, they're talking, they, they know what they're talking about. Right. Um, 400 gram loaves. Once when, when the dough contained less than 10 of the spores per gram, Whereas 800 gram loaves survival occurred with those containing five, five times 10 to the three spores per gram, which is an odd, yep. that that's an odd inoculum level, but yeah. Um, uh, so, but uh, inclusion, but, but growth, right. Yep. Basic. That's what we're really talking well, but, about. But yeah, at least 24 hours before multiplication takes place. Yeah. So we're talking about very, very long periods of time. Well, and going, so let's go back to the original text from Supi long slow fermentation right like that's the right. more um the uh purportedly more nutritious uh um uh fermentation so, but but so once you know you 20 how long's long right it's 24 hours right. um uh yeah and uh but i do like the this is from the uh flour milling and baking research association and uh Chorley wood hurts in the uk um it is concluded that the risk of food poisoning due to the presence of bacillus cereus in bread is minimal. So, yeah. All right. And the, again, I, papers from 1986 on how, how great are they? Three pages long, a couple of, a couple yeah. of tables. And, and it answers the question that we explicitly have. That we have. Yes. Yeah. Well done. Um, yeah. I mean, look, and, and again, not, this is where we get to pontificate a little more about it. You know, I feel like we would have a bunch of illnesses linked to sourdough bread if, if this was a common practice and there was risk associated with it, or we'd have a link to an illness, but right. I, I I don't know of any, I can't find any. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, it, it probably low risk um, on this show, we can say low risk. If we did it on risky or not, it would probably be not risky. Yeah. Yeah. So last uh, little bit of, of feedback uh, that I want to cover uh, is uh, the uh, the best of Baltimore. Um, oh yeah, which might not, which might be the worst of Baltimore. 
in Baltimore. And so uh, this is a, a message from friend of the show, Patrick Quaid, um, who runs the IWasPoisoned.com website that we've talked about from time to time. Uh, Patrick writes, and this is this is just right from hot from my inbox uh, yesterday. Um, uh, I, Patrick writes, I think this is not reported anywhere else other than us so far. Uh, best of type foodie events are pretty common, but I think less commonly in an uncommon setting, i.e. museum, the uh, the best of Baltimore event at the American Visionary Art Museum. Um, a hunch he doesn't have any data to support that. Um, I hope you're well. So yeah, so I'll read from the I Was Poisoned uh, uh, post, which says, as of August 29th, we have received eight reports citing 29 people sick after eating at the Best of Baltimore event on August 18th, hosted, hosted by Baltimore Magazine, held at the Visionary, American Visionary Art Museum in Baltimore, Maryland. Most common symptoms, diarrhea, fever, vomiting after eating. Uh, one of the attendees received a medical diagnosis for Campylobacter. Um, some complaints mentioned having seafood from the vendors. So uh, this might be a real thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, a, and a food safety talk scoop that that is really this. Yes. And I was poison.com scoop uh, potentially. Um, so uh, a couple of things. Um, mm -hmm. the, uh, I sent you a link to a um, an article that was yep. in the Nation's Restaurant News about an, an outbreak every time I hear about one of these sort of best of or taste of a, a city I think of the taste of Chicago uh which is an annual event where um you know hundreds of restaurants and vendors get together it's a food festival and there is um an outbreak that happened in 2007 salmonella outbreak that was linked to a uh, Persian eatery uh, named Pars Cove and I remember this mainly because um, I use this example quite a bit back in the day about um, just the challenges of temporary food events. And um, I think if I remember, I, I won't be able to find the outbreak investigation right now, but I think I remember hearing from someone from the city of Chicago or reading the outbreak investigation um, that, that said that, you know, uh, moving food from the restaurant to the taste of Chicago event was done in like a delivery van. And then some food was prepared on site, but in a, in a booth that, um, you know, it wasn't all just like, um, pre-prepared and then warmed up there. So, so the, it was done in a booth that was outside without hand washing. Cause it was a temporary food establishment. Um, and so there, the thought was that there was either cross-contamination in the you know in the tent or that there were you know hand washing was a was a factor in, in that outbreak something something like that but it was yeah it, it was quite large if i remember 100 yeah 126 people got sick um from from it um and so the like the this one um i thought was you know it, it, it who knows what we're talking about in the best of baltimore but if it's uh, you know, vendors and and um, and restaurants and different people all showing up at a at a museum. That's like a temporary. You know, the challenges associated with a temporary food establishment. I think pop up. Yeah, and and probably you know it'll be interesting to sort out right because there is if you look at the the uh, I was poisoned. Um, I'm not. It, it's uh, I, I I thought when I sk I skimmed it before, it seemed like. Um, 
it wasn't clear. Well, I mean, do you even remember which 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 caterer you ate from, right? Because this was right. uh yeah, was person right that I only ate from two of the vendors. One was THB and the other was on the opposite side. Don't remember the name. Um I did not get sick, but my partner did. Uh ate just about everything at the party. The only food my partner ate that I didn't was the pate. Um, so yeah, this bacteria comes from uncooked, uncooked poultry. Yeah. That would go with the pate. Yes. Well done. Yep. Uh, anonymous person S E. So oh, yeah. Wow, man. And then, and then people, people, <laughs> somebody oh. writes, I ate grilled Gruber last night. <laughs> the worst <laughs> diarrhea and vomiting ever. I think they mean grouper. Uh, grilled Gruber. Gruber. As far as I know, <laughs> as far as I know, John is still alive. Um, Oh, his, his his wife is is tweeting about their son going off to college. So I'm pretty. I'm, let's hope John's all right. Well, hey, so I'm good. Good catch. Good, um, good uh, pull, as they say. Uh, um, the uh, chicken liver pate and Campylobacter. That's a big deal. That's a yeah. Like I mean, uh, well, let's link to this. Uh, FSIS, uh, USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service, has been super hot on this issue. Um, we. Uh, a couple of years ago, started down a path of doing a project with Johnson and Wales and then COVID kind of like stopped us and we never really got back to it. But looking at understanding how chicken liver pate is, is made, how to make it, but so essentially F F FSIS asked us to work with um, our friends, get ready with your, your bell here, Don, um, John Lachansky and Anna Portafet at uh, the Agricultural Research Service. Um on uh really like validated recipes for uh restaurants on on this and and just thinking about different ways to make chicken liver pate safe and so um Hold on. i was i was on mute i, I you'll fix this in post right oh of course there you go yeah <laughs> um and i uh, as a special bonus don i'm we're going to link not only to the fsis page i gave you but to a phenomenal article and here get get ready get get off mute, mute here from uh lead author anna portofet senior uh la last author john lachansky thermal inactivation of salmonella and pate made from chicken liver where um john and anna and their team of brad laura manuela elizabeth wait, wait, Henry, i need to ding all of those people all of them <laughs> yang jin jung they all uh, did some like probably the best work that's out there, most oh, nice. in depth work out, out on this nice. on this topic. So would not surprise me at all if this turns out to be a chicken liver pate Campylobacter outbreak. And and it's like where, where they didn't read this paper clearly. Right, right. Well, so here's the thing: like it's hard to make chicken liver pate with cooked chicken livers. Like yeah. like like it's not it's not as good. So people don't do it. Um, and so, yeah, this is uh, this is an interesting one. Yeah, interesting indeed. So, uh, oh, I put some stuff in here before I went away. Yeah, so I, I, I think we've covered everything that I want. I mean, there's still stuff in here that we should cover. Well, we should. There's stuff in here that is from uh, earlier in the summer that we can probably, you know, um, let go, but. But by all means, take it where you want. No, let's let's keep going. Um, so Don, uh, 
Well, we haven't we haven't talked in a while because I've been. Uh, uh, I, I like to just you know I'm going to come back to this. I was on uh, I was on hiatus. It's almost like I was on paid uh, what paid administrative leave or unpaid administrative. <laughs> like I was suspended from suspended with pay. Suspended with pay from the from the podcast for a while. Um, I, good thing we had that PPP loan come in. I don't know how we would have been able to to handle it. Um, so uh, I I read something in Fortune. Um, <laughs> Cause you know, I'm reading, I'm always reading fortune. The, well, I hear you. I hear that's what you read. If you want to become a millionaire. Yeah. Just every day you get up, you read, uh, you read five newspapers, right? Um, the Wall Street uh, journal, New York yep, times, New York Washington times. post. Yep. Uh, and then you go straight to the fortune website. Uh, and so fortune had an exclusive Don daily this, harvest. This is, this is not, this is not fortune hunter, right? Oh no, no, the fortune. This is a this is a different thing, right? Yeah, those are fortune knockoffs. This is this is like um yeah, and and Don, I'm I'm gonna send you a paywall version of this because you can't, you know, that that's how much how into fortune I am. I get past the paywall. Uh the reason why I get past you know, (laughs) you know that's how you get rich, Ben. You gotta spend money to make money. Exactly. Exactly. I get past the paywall by by spending money on Apple News, which again I will talk about over and over again how I love Apple News yes, Plus. Yes, yes. We know um, you're in the bo- pocket of Big Apple News. I'm in the pocket of Big Apple News. So, uh, but but I, I you know I think I broke broke all the rules. Um, oh no, I didn't. I only gave you the pay the pay version of this. Anyway, Daily Harvest latest startup to announce layoffs. They uh, they. They've been linked to all these illnesses. No, oh, yeah. there's not a lot of like, still not a lot of movement, right? Like we've the three weeks I was away, it's not like we found out what's causing illnesses, right? right. Like, is it the Terra? Is it not the Terra? Um, is it uh, is it something else? Uh, you know, was it a? But I, I really liked your hypothesis on this. Was maybe something around the processing of the product might have led to something? You know, uh, creating something that people have an intolerance to. Whatever, whatever it is. Um, well, the other point that I, I I keep wanting to make because I really think that this is right. I think it's also entirely possible that somebody harvested a related species ooh. that is more toxic, right? Because th- this is a broad category of of plants, and I mean, if you're out there, I mean, I you know, I don't think this stuff is farmed. Right. Right. So I really think that this might just be like somebody harvested something that looked like the thing that they thought it was that actually is more toxic. So I'm going to keep I'm going to keep saying that because I think that's that's what the the right. It's one of the possible right answers. I mean, we'll we'll see. Right. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Here's what I really wanted to talk about here. Mm-hmm. Not that those things are that that's also important. So they cut 15 percent of their employees. Um, according to, again, this is a scoop on fortune where I, where I look every day, um, a, a source with knowledge of the situation, unnamed source, someone who's not even allowed to talk about this, Don says that the cuts cover 15% of employees, the company declined to comment, but I want to highlight the next paragraph. And I don't know if this is in the paywall or not, but I can see it. So I'm just going to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, Don, what what would you? How much are your startups valued at? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, if 
if if I owned this startup, apparently it would be valued at 1.1 billion grapples. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one, it was. I would like to read this because that is exactly <laughs> the way that I read Sorry, that. I just, I can't help no, it. I couldn't help it either. The layoffs come as the New York City-based startup last valued at 1.1 billion grapples with the food safety <laughs> issue that has created a firestorm on social media. Uh, they're, I believe they're grappling, but I also read that as 1.1 billion grapples. Uh, um, poor, poor line break placement. So oh that's all. Gosh. So good. So good. So a- anyway, it is a little bit surprising to me, like that daily heart, like, I don't, what do I know about food startups, but 1.1 da- billion man. So, uh, anyway, that, that's why, um, the, uh, you know, the, the, these outbreaks become such big news, I think, is you've got a, a you have a startup that, uh, you know, later down, you can see that there's a bunch of people who've invested in this. I think um, like things that, that I always find interesting that I only know words about from watching like Silicon Valley on HBO. Um, Don, the recall, recall, not the recall, the recall and layoffs come after Daily Harvest surged in popularity during the pandemic as consumers looking for creative ways to eat at home flocked to the brand. In November 2021, Daily Harvest closed its Series D round of funding, giving the company coveted unicorn status with a valuation of $1.1 billion. The company is a litany of celebrity investors, including Don, some of our favorites, Gwyneth Paltrow, Serena Williams, and Bobby Flay. But, uh, wow, right? So, anyway, here, here you go. Like This is where we get into the fun world of celebrity um unicorn statuses <laughs> do you know what unicorn status means because it if i click on that it, it takes me to um to a bloomberg article that that just it talks about how daily harvest reaches unicorn status when someone yeah, who listens to this I, knows what that i means. think it's it's like it's like kind of like a black swan right it's like mm-hmm. a unique thing um like unicorn unicorn status is probably like you know that's it's higher than horse status oh no it is it comes from uh under understanding unicorns this it actually comes oh. from crunch base the, oh, of course the the crunch base unicorn board is a curated list of the most valuable private companies in the world powered by crunch base's comprehensive data this list is updated as companies reach unicorn status so right now there's 1393 companies who have raised $8.62 billion, um, leading to $4.8 trillion of total value of unicorn status. Oh, but so here, so according to Investopedia, <clears throat> which is never wrong. No, um, that's where I get all my investment is used news. Exactly, all my investment advice. Um, uh, a term used in the venture capital industry to refer to a private startup with a value over one billion. So they're yep. just over one billion at one point one billion. So they're it's just a, a, barely a unicorn. Baby unicorn. Baby unicorn. Baby baby unicorn. Um, what is the biggest unicorn company in the world? This is from Crunchbase. The biggest unicorn the company in the world by valuation is ByteDance. <laughs> it's an internet technology sure. company that operates creative content platforms such as TikTok. So, all right, oh, I got you. I right, well, okay. That, oh, I they would be a unicorn. That's a that's a thing. One one hundred and eighty billion dollars. But uh, but so they got a nifty PPP um, <laughs> loan. 
Nifty Unicorn PPP loan. Um, all right. So anyway, here here's the deal. Outbreaks not good for your employees, right? Like that 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 was the and and especially if you're or, or for your brand or your unicorn status. For your unicorn status, but but only if you're valued at eight, 1.1 billion grapples. <laughs> uh all right. I what else? What else have I? Oh, uh, Don, have you, are you aware of the man who hasn't stopped farting for five years? <laughs> ben, we agree that we weren't going to talk about that. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, this did. Yes, this did come across my my transom, as they say. Um, I'm not sure how, but it did. Yes. Tell, so, tell me more. Tell me. Oh, more. I'll t- oh, I'm ready for. <laughs> you're 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 here for more. Um, this uh, what what in in. Uh, I would say um, uh, just best headline of the episode um, <laughs> comes to us from uh, the time or the Irish mirror, um, IE dot IE. Um, and uh, the headline is man who quote, hasn't stopped farting for five years, unquote, sues food stall for over 235,000 euros over a ham roll. Tyrone Prades, 46, bought the sandwich in December 2017. I I hope he's eating it. Um, (laughs) I think that was the problem. He did eat it. Yeah, yeah. During a visit to the Birmingham Christmas market with his wife and kids. A dad who claims he hasn't stopped farting since eating a sandwich five years ago. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, Is suing a food stall. Uh, He bought the sandwich. uh, Same same information twice. So nice. they, They said it twice. Uh, his lawyers told the high court he suffered from stomach cramps, fever, vomiting, and diarrhea within hours of eating it. Okay, so now we're in food safety talk realm. Right. He, he claims to have been bedridden for five weeks with salmonella as a result of eating the item. I, I mean, checks out to to me. I, I mean, let's not jump to conclusions. We don't know about the the ham sandwich or the ham roll here, but um, that I we we definitely know of long term issues related to salmonella. Well, and we we also know um, someone who who is on this podcast um, uh, who had uh, long uh, term burping from Campylobacter. So, what's the difference, really? True. Well, no, from H. pylori. Oh, H. pylori. Oh, um, but so, I sorry. I, I'm I'm referring to the old name of that organism, Campylobacter pylori. You're probably right. too young to remember that. <laughs> but yes, yes, yes. Uh, but yes, I'm, absolutely. Uh, and, uh, and it all smelled like popcorn. It was terrible. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Park, his lawyer, Robert Park, and told the court that Mr. Prady's stomach continued to make awkward rumbling noises after the illness subsided. Awkward rumbling noises are not good. The claimant yeah. continues to suffer from excessive flatulence, which causes him a great deal of embarrassment. His symptoms are primarily fatigue and altered bowel function associated with quote churning. That's the medical term, Don, mm. um, within his abdomen and flatulence. The claimant's stomach continues to make frequent churning noises. I think maybe he's hungry. Um, the, to, to the extent his sleep can become disrupted, the extent of the symptoms have uh, has been life-changing. Um, so, well, so reading yeah. from later in the story, which it seems to be not really whatever you let me tell you let me ask you what you make of this philip davy the barrister for frankfurt christmas market limited which served the ham sandwich admitted council environmental health officers found e coli that's lowercase e period c-o-l-i okay but don't get me started on a knife 
but no salmonella, also not capitalized um, or italicized. <clears throat> he also said, this is Philip Davy, that as Mr. Prades has not claimed that he suffered from an E. coli infection, same mis, uh, uh, misspelling, miswriting, mis, uh, uh, he must prove the salmonella allegation to receive the payout. Does that make sense to you? Well, I get, I mean, so here's a little more background. There were other illnesses, right? So it was an actual, there okay. was an outbreak. Other customers who bought food in the market reportedly fell ill. Um, I'm, I'm going to assume that since health officers went out there and did an outbreak investigation, they closed it, there was deep cleaning. Um, and then they did some sort of swabbing. I I mean, you know, getting hum, hanuk, hung up on a technicality. Yeah. Do we know if those other people who were sick had E. coli or salmonella. I mean, could you have a situation where things were not going so well in this um, ham ham roll stall well, that they, right. they made a bunch of people sick from lots we're, of different pathogens? Yeah, we're, think back to Hickam's dictum, right? Yeah. Hickam's <laughs> Patients dictum. could have as many diseases as they damn well please. Yeah. So the there's, yeah, I mean, but this is this is a fun one that you know we should get our our friend bill marler to to comment on seems like a legal technicality right hey we we admit that there was e coli you do not have e coli you have salmonella so wasn't us right. um and and it's not just i well i guess he must prove the salmonella allegation to receive the payout doesn't have to prove mm. that salmonella was there right like i think it's about the I, I don't know it may be the, the this is where we don't know the uk uh legal situation it seems like it would well, be a situation they, more likely than not the same they, the, they have barristers uh yeah. this i think the barristers are the ones that wear wigs yeah right well, uh it's very complicated everything i know i know you watch a lot of dark uh british <laughs> you think british i know shows. more yeah um and then and you made me watch that one uh where the health inspector showed up yeah at, at the rest <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know what? I'll just make up a name. I think it was it was like uh, Toddy's Restaurant or something. Well, it's been, the the show is Pie in the Sky. Pie in the Sky. Um, there you go. And uh, with the 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 detective slash restaurant tour uh, is the same actor who played uh, Harry Potter's um, uh, um, uncle, right? Or whoever the anyway the yeah Harry Potter's uncle the the, the you know the, yeah. the the rotund gentleman who yelled at. Harry Potter. Get out from under the stairs. Locked him, in, locked him in the closet, right? Lock him in the closet. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know almost nothing about the barrister and um <laughs> what what else are they called? They've got they've got barristers. What are the good there's the good guys and the bad guys? The barristers and the, uh, <laughs> I think you're thinking of the Berenstain Bears. The Berenstain Bears, yeah. Um, so I know almost everything I know about the Berenstein Bears from the Berenstein Bears. I know almost everything I know about the barristers from a fish called Wanda. Uh, where John Cleese was a, I think he was a barrister. He was wearing, he wore, wore a wig. Do you know, are you familiar with that, with that movie, with that uh, cinematic I wonder? I, I, wonder. I, 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 for, I forgot that uh, John Cleese played a barrister, but I am, I am familiar with the fish called Wanda. I know, I know he played a barrister based on the, um, <laughs> the, the movie poster, which includes uh, the fish Wanda, which <laughs> who never makes a full size person appearance, but also Kevin Klein dressed, I think, as a ninja, and uh, and John Cleese uh, as dressed as a bar as a barrister. But I really liked that movie; it was great. Mm. Wanda, and yeah. Um, 
that won uh, the uh, Academy Award Best Supporting Actor, Kevin Klein. Oh, you know, look at that for, for Auto. Uh, well, there you go. There, there's your there, there's your uh, cult- cultural references. We we hit them on. We hit them on all. Um, what, great recall communication feedback. What's this one about? Let's look. Oh, we did that already. Oh, we did that one. Yeah, yeah. That was mind. the uh, the uh, yeah. uh, egg uh yep. products from uh royal crest dairy yep um someone give us some feedback on night shift um because i was talking <laughs> about that in our last movie not the michael keaton movie um but uh night night shift on on the i on ios um oh, yes. yeah this comes to us from deep borscht I, that's I'll, we'll just say deep borscht um uh, uh, just some follow-up many moons ago, I learned about the accessibility feature of reduce white point. This feature reduces the brightness of colors in the screen to allow an even darker screen when looking at a device, which can be helpful for doom scrolling in Twitter at bed at night beside a partner who wants to sleep. It can be paired with access with the accessibility shortcut utilizing the side button and allow a triple click of the button to, uh, reduce the white point accessibility feature. So I will check that out as well. Um, and again, this was me trying to figure out what the best way to do zoom, uh, calls without getting a reflection on my glasses and on my face. Hmm. Um, there, there was something else. Oh, we haven't talked about this. The, uh, so, um, Capri sun recalls thousands of pouches. Uh, there might be, uh, some cleaning solution in them. Do, do you remember seeing this? I do. do you know do you know about Capri Sun? First of all, I do. Um, my family, well, I shouldn't say my family. Two members of my family drink a lot of Capri Sun. <laughs> that I can guess which two. Yeah. Um, at any chance they can, they get. We we don't we don't purchase a lot of Capri Sun, but uh, Kraft Heinz uh, a couple of weeks ago recalled thousands of Capri Sun pouches due to the possible contamination from a cleaning solution. Uh, the voluntary recall comes after diluted cleaning solution which is used on food processing equipment was inadvertently introduced into a production line at one of our factories. The company wrote in a statement that's okay. So, so Don, that's not good, right? Like, like having that happen, but good that this resulted in a recall and Kraft Heinz came out and said that, right? Right. Like, like this, not just, Oh, there is, you know, sometimes we have to read between the lines on, on these, recall um notices but this was um you know the they, they kind of came out and said it was it, we you know it was inadvertently introduced means we know what happened um here's the i guess probably the worst part of this the issue was discovered after we received several consumer complaints about the taste of the affected product the company is actively working with retail partners to remove potentially impacted product from circulation Ooh. Yeah, and you know th- this is an interesting one, and it's it's top of mind in part because I just taught a uh, better process control school, and this product was probably produced on an aseptic packaging line and aseptic processing and packaging line, and the way those lines get cleaned 
is by something called CIP, clean in place, where basically you, instead of pumping, instead of cleaning it out of place, instead of taking it all apart and disassembling it, you basically pump water through the system and then you pump cleaning solution through the system and then you switch over and you pump water again and then finally you pump product. And obviously, you know, these these systems are enclosed and so you can't see what's in the pipe, but you, you do know something about flow of product and, and you should be able to manage all of that risk accordingly, but obviously somebody um, screwed up, <clears throat> right? And, and, and flipped a switch uh, sooner than they should have or something. And, and then you have, you have something like this. And this does, this does happen from time to time. Um, my, my wife uh, really likes the Jersey blues, blueberry wine. And uh, we got one bottle one time that was, uh, that tasted like cleaning solution because obviously somebody had just not properly rinsed something or, or didn't did the switch over incorrectly. So, I mean, unfortunately it happens, uh, but uh, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's, you know, that it happens and it's good that we can do a recall. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, I don't know. I, it's not, um, it's not often where you get that, that admission of here it is. Like we, we screwed up. This was inadvertent. Um, let's get the product back. Um, I, I think the too often there's a tendency for companies to say, well, we, we don't know. We're just doing this in an abundance of caution. And, you know, yep. There's there, you know, we, it feels like we got the full story on this, which I really, really mm -hmm. liked. All right. Do you want to tackle some stuff here from SJH underscore Canada? Came to us on Twitter. Um, an article that is don't throw it away. Moldy foods you can eat and that won't do you any harm. Before we do that, I okay. do just want to give out an A plus to CDC. Oh, yeah. Um, on how monkeypox spreads. And specifically, um, and we can, this is, this is, I think this is, I think this is safe for work. Um, but it talks about that one of the ways that monkey, monkeypox can spread is during intimate contact. And I'm just going to read from the CDC, oral, anal, and vaginal sex or touching the genitals, penis, testicles, labia, and vagina, or anus, parentheses, butthole of a person with monkeypox. And so I want to give CDC an A plus for buttholes. Yeah. That's the okay. I like it. I like that's that's a good that's a good call. Um because because you know you shouldn't you shouldn't have to be fancy. You can you can you can talk in plain language to people and that's what they need to do. Right. And especially I mean I I feel like CDC does their they they're, they're good people there they do their research and if if they're dealing with this outbreak and the term butthole is coming up a lot then let's just talk to people and meet them where they are let's let's not worry too much about what what might exist on our on our website and, and if someone's going to make fun of it so yeah yeah, no, I mean, I'm not absolutely. I'm not. I'm not making. It's funny to say, um, but I'm not making fun of. Right? No. Be clear. Yeah. Hey. So here's here's the thing uh, on monkeypox. Mm. I do want to talk to you about this because you know we did an episode on risky or not. You know, monkeypox, risky or not, not risky when it comes to food, right? Mm -hmm. Like, no. I mean, monkeypox itself is is risky. It's not a it's not a disease that, um, or virus that that we we want to have. But the question of do I need to do anything special 
from food service standpoint, do I need to do anything with packaging? No, it's, it, you know, we're, we, we're revisiting everything that we talked about in 2020 around the start of the um, SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. <clears throat> We've got friends. <laughs> we got friends. Period. We, we, so that we have Don, let's just acknowledge we have friends. We have friends that work in the world of food who are getting pressured by outside sources to address, to basically tell people, here's how you should be controlling monkeypox in your food settings. And mm. I'm struggling a little bit on this because you just read how monkeypox spreads, right? Mm hmm. I'm not going to call anybody out on this, but if someone was asking you what to do to control monkeypox, would you have a, a standard operating procedure, a bullet that would say something like it's important, especially important to wash hands before donning gloves and before handling any foods that will not be cooked. For example, lettuce and other produce that will not be cooked as part of your monkeypox guidance. No, I am tempted to say, um, don't put any foods in your butthole. Right, right. Well, and again, not... <laughs> which, which is good advice, which is even good. if you're not trying to manage no. monkeypox. But it's closer to the reality of monkeypox spread, right? Like, I, I feel like this is, um, and I'm, I, I've got to um, get, you know, get an answer to, to, to some of our friends on this in the next day or so to, to basically be like this. This is akin to saying in light of recent, you know, uh, a, a recent outbreak linked to, to romaine lettuce, um, it's important to use a thermometer on your ground beef at all times, right? Like, like yeah. yeah, that's a good food safety message. We should be talking about not, it. It's not related. Let's don't connect those two messages. Yeah. Right, 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 yeah. right. Like those, so, so it's, it's, it, you know. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's a good, it's a it's a good idea to use a thermometer on your meat, but that has nothing to do with pathogens in lettuce. Right, right. And um, don't don't food safety is complicated and confusing enough. Don't make it more complicated. Yeah, and and the biggest one that I that I want to sort of talk about is again the there's no evidence that mon the monkeypox is a foodborne virus. These precautions are recommended for all food establishments to help the, reduce the risk of monkeypox transmission. And yeah. it's about, about things like hand washing, gloves, the thing, the other thing I mentioned, sanitizing food contact services. I I think yeah. that's an overreach. Yeah, like, me, me too. And I'll say the same thing about monkeypox that I did about COVID-19. Washing your hands and using hand sanitizer is a good idea, right? Yeah. Um, but you don't have to disinfect your groceries when you bring them home from the grocery store because of COVID-19, right? Like, like, yes, wash your hands, of course, but don't, but don't think that washing your hands and using hand sanitizer is going to stop you from getting COVID. If you're somebody with COVID is huffing in your face, yep. right? Yep. Like you can, you can wash your hands all you want, but that's not going to stop you. If, if somebody with COVID like coughs in your face, I mean, right. it's, Again, it's this this is this stuff is it's not like super complicated, but it's complicated enough we shouldn't try to confuse people with messages that that do just exactly that. Right, right. And and it's it's I think it's important to get it right and not confound the the issue. Um 
you know, CDC, the, that same page that you talked about, there, there are two things. One thing that explicitly has to do with food, which I think is really interesting, right? It's also possible for people to get monkeypox from infected animals, either by being scratched or bitten by the animal, or by preparing or eating meat or using products from an infected animal. Dom, what kind of animals do you think can get monkeypox? I mean, one, it's in the name. Monkeys. So don't get monkeys. But I don't know, right? Animals with... Can can a cow get monkeypox? I, I don't know, Ben, but I'm going to tell you that cooking your meat is a good idea whether or not. Oh, right. Okay, here we go, Don. Oh, CDC, good job. They've got the stuff that we... They, they got the stuff we need. Um, here are animals that may or may not be uh, um, type of domestic animal and farm animal can be infected with monkeypox. Cows, unknown, can be infected with other ortho orthopox viruses. Yes. Camels, unknown for monkeypox. Goats, unknown for monkeypox. Sheep, unknown for monkeypox. Pigs, unknown for monkeypox. Um, there you go. There's a lot of unknowns here. What kind of animals do we know can get monkeypox? Prairie dogs, squirrels, marmots and groundhogs, chinchillas, giant pouched rats. Don't eat. Well, so here's the thing. Eat those animals if you choose to. I don't want to judge, judge, you know, animal consumption patterns. But if 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 the squirrel that you're going to eat is infected with monkeypox, wash your hands after handling the raw meat. Right. Like there, that's as close to food safety as we're going to get on monkeypox at this current moment to me. Um, the second thing here that I think is, is missing that we're not talking about in how this matters. And, and, and again, akin to norovirus management <clears throat> and akin to managing SARS-CoV-2 in a restaurant or, or other food establishment, a person with monkeypox can spread it to others from the time symptoms start until the rash has fully healed and a fresh layer of skin has, has formed. This illness typically lasts two to four weeks. Don, if you have monkeypox, maybe don't go to work. And 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 then if you do go to work, prolong face-to-face -face contact, all the um, sexual contact that you mentioned before, hugging, massaging, kissing. Um, that those are the things that we need to worry about here. Right. So so the right. the more the more the better risk reduction is managing someone who is infected. Uh, with this with this virus in those establishments, not worrying about changing gloves before handling less to me. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, so I got a little work to do um, on that. Mm -hmm. Um, We checked off monkey box. What, what, yeah, so what I, was that? So you wanted to do uh, moldy foods. Oh, yeah. Right? Moldy foods. OK, so um, let me go to the to this one. Let's find it. Um, What moldy foods can you eat that won't do you any harm, Don? What 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 which ones would you well yeah? So this this comes from SJH underscore Canada, who tags me in an article from express.co.uk, okay, which is a uh, a newspaper, a purported newspaper. Um and uh basically there's some advice in here that's not great advice um and I, I sort of explain it so th this this article is written by this morning's consumer expert alice beer 
um, who, as I say on Twitter, is probably not a real expert. Uh, information, information in this article, Ben, says fruits and vegetables, it's okay if they have mold, but apples uh, are deadly if they have mold. So right, right. I'm, I'm a little puzzled by the lack of an editor, perhaps, <laughs> for this article. Because there um, seems to be something that's not very consistent there. Yeah, yeah. And and Alice Beer, I don't, I don't, I don't know her, but uh, apparently she is an English television presenter and consumer journalist. Uh, she was trained as a teacher. Nothing against teachers. Uh, she's a qualified teacher, accordingly, according to uh, this morning. Um, but I would say maybe, like, let's not go to Ms. Beer for food safety advice. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just a badly written article. I mean, and, and again, there's a bit of there's some interesting, if you, if you go to the, um, uh, at some point, uh, yeah, at some point, SGH Canada sends me the link to the original post uh, or the person that posted it originally on Twitter. And there's a lot of people um, being really angry at the, uh, at the, uh, the newspaper for basically telling people um, that it's okay to eat moldy food um, because um, you know, we, we need, you know, it's, it's okay. If people don't have money for food, just eat some moldy food. Um, yeah. So anyway, there's a, there's a real, um, you know, a, a political agenda there. I, some people perceive the article as having a political uh, agenda is in telling people oh, it's, it's okay. You're poor. Just eat moldy food. Yeah. Right. 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 So I, I I'm going to scroll to the bottom of the, this article. Cause I think there's some fun stuff, right? Um, okay. We've got um, fruit and veg, little spots of mold can be used, usually be salvaged as long as they're not slimy as the signals, the presence of bacteria that can cause food poisoning or stomach pain. Wow. Okay. Um, soft fruits. So that was fruits and veg, right? Mm -hmm. So Don, there's another category here of soft fruits and veg, like cucumbers, okay. tomatoes. Would, yeah. That would seem to me to be a subset of fruit and veg. Well, it's, it's, it seems different. Okay. Um, so, so anyway, if it's fruit and veg, as long as it's not slimy, you're good. Cut it away. If it's a soft fruit and veg, like cucumbers and tomatoes, you're not going to be able to see where the mold has gotten into it and throw it away. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Ben. Cucumbers and tomatoes and peaches are soft. Yeah, I mean, they, so what, what? What? What kind of fruits and veg are harder than those things? I mean, carrot maybe. I got if so. Don, Alice advised if uh, there's the tiny bit on the outside. No, I wouldn't pick that off and eat it because you don't know the invisible mold in there. But one moldy raspberry is not going to harm you. Well, uh, what, depends on the mold, man. Right. Right. Oh my God. Um, jam is maybe my favorite one. Mold on top of, and and see uh what was it? Squirrel jam? Did we did oh we yes? Buy some? Yeah. With mold on top of jam in a jar, just quote, scrape the mold off the top of the jam. Alice did say how, quote, the experts say no, don't do it, but I would. And then the article goes on to say the FSA warns that while quote it is possible uh, removing the mold and significant amount of amount uh, surrounding the product could remove any unseen toxins that are present. There's no guarantee that we're doing so we'll remove them all. And I think we, we should find this like our friend Linda Harris sent us a really good jam mold article that made me flip uh, on my one of my risky or not um, answers because I think there's pretty good 
demonstration that moldy jam is not a good thing to eat. That and that that uh, yeah. So let me find it. Okay. Yeah, um, and again, you know, SJH Canada says this is a real print newspaper in the UK with editors, not a four-month-old YouTube account. <laughs> Maybe it was maybe what we're seeing is the rise of AI written articles that that maybe uh, a whole bunch of food safety articles have been um, like placed into an AI generator and it just made that you know that new mold mold is good mold is bad could be uh, could be okay so last thing I wanted to talk to you about is an article that I just sent you and uh, so it's. It's it's our friend. We have a friend who who talks on this, Keith, Keith uh, um, Warner from the University of Guelph. Uh, article the headlines is in Halton News today, but I think it was it's a reprint from maybe the Toronto Star. I saw it uh, in another place a, a week and a half ago or so. Removing best before dates won't stop food waste, says expert. Stop buying in bulk and instead shop for smaller quantities to avoid items going bad, says the food researcher. I agree. Like I. The, I I think that headline, like, there's nothing in there that, um, that I don't agree with yet. He, uh, the quote from Keith is best before dates were a regulation implemented two decades ago. He said, and this is in Canada. What the rule states is that anything with a shelf life under 90 days basically has to have a best before date. Best before dates provide customers a gauge of the quality of the product. It isn't an expiry date where it would not be ideal to consume, um, after the printed date, like a bottle of vitamins. There are very few items that are actually dangerous to eat after the best before date. Um, so, so he writes, the problem we've got is a lot of these best before dates are not based on science. If best before dates were removed and a consumer buys a tomato, for instance, they take it home the next day and it goes bad. The onus is on the consumer or the retailer. This is a question that Warner posed. He suggests using your sentences, giving something the sniff test. Um, uh, but the thing that I think is really interesting that's not tackled in the article is the headline, which is <laughs> if you remove best before dates, will people keep food longer? Right? Like that, that's the, like, I think that's the thesis of that, of that headline. Um, and so Keith says removing them is not the solution. But I don't, I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts on this? Cause we talked a little bit about this a while ago in a risky or not episode. I'm, I'm undetermined um, on, uh, well, I, I bet removing best before dates on their own, isn't going to stop food waste, but does it lead to um, not risky decisions where people leave those foods longer in their refrigerators? Well, I think the, the short answer is it might. Yeah. Right. Um, because here's the thing. If a food looks gross, I think people are not going to eat it. Right. Independent of what the date says. But if the if it's out of date, but it looks OK, um, there I my hypothesis would be there will be certain people that will not eat that food. Right. Um, be, simply based on the date. Yeah. Yeah. Without, without doing any sort of objective assessment. And so removing the dates might stop some food waste, but I think it's an open question, right? Um, it's certainly, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating that Canada has this regulation and we don't have it in the United States. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, 
I, I'm, I, yeah, I would have to say I, I, I would, I, I don't think the science is settled, right? Uh, if, if Keith, if Keith is stating that removing them won't, I mean, removing them won't stop food waste, I, right? I can agree with that. Will, will it, will it reduce food waste? That's and I the think question. the answer is it might. Yes, right. I'm, we are, we're totally on the same page of this, right? Like I think the way that that headline is printed, the, removing best before dates doesn't solve our food waste problem. <laughs> But could it reduce the amount of food waste? Yeah, maybe. I think about this in in the um, in that intersection between you know understanding uh, food dates and safety, waste, and food disparity. Could removing best before dates also help us on food disparity and hunger issues? Maybe, right? Like, do we? And, and again, that's something I don't. I I know from. Some of the work that I um, that I, I've read over the years that eating food past the best before date is already a coping mechanism for individuals who um, who, who are, are dealing with food disparity issues. So right. that that that's out there, right? Where, oh, for sure, right? Like like that, you know, uh, what whatever. I don't care what it, what it says. If we don't have food, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna eat it. So, so we already know that that that's happening with, you know, based on, um, you know, stuff that's, that's out there in the literature. But I think the second piece for me is I know explicitly of some, um, food pantries who will turn away food yep, because it's past the best before date. And I know of some food pantries who are totally fine with it. And so if we remove that, Will we have more food going to emergency food providers? Is is again? I'm I'm with you on a maybe. Like that's I think it's a question worth worth investigating. So, anyway, this is what the one that that hit me today. I was like, oh, we got a, we got a cool picture of Keith yeah. in a in a white in a white uh, um, lab coat. It says Professor Warner right on it. Uh, and we should we should talk about our friend Keith. Well, but Ben, I want you to know that um, I did see Keith um, on a conference call earlier today. Mm -hmm. He was not wearing that lab coat. I well, I think he only puts it on for photographs. I don't know. Was he in the? Was, did he did he do the Zoom call from his lab? No. <laughs> well, hey, maybe he only well, wears it when he's in the lab. He walks. Walks well, in, puts it, it on. What, like, am I, I mean, the joke with my lab is, uh, I I only ever come into the lab wearing a lab coat when there's a TV crew following me. So, um, you know, I mean, right, right. So the the question is, um, the, is it the only time that you're seen in the lab is when you're wearing a, a lab coat and a TV uh, crew is around, or would you go into the lab without that on? Uh, occasionally, let's yeah. just say occasionally. <laughs> Uh, well, Hey, at least you have a lab, right? I, what do. A, I, I, do. I, I just have uh, who's in the kitchen with Dinah. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Hey, I, um, I think we, we hit them all. I, I think uh, that's a show. I think that's a show. All right. This has been another episode of food safety talk. Um, uh, Oh, we don't do that. <laughs> you one like on to reach one. us. <laughs> yeah. Reach, we, uh, come to our website and hit us up on Twitter and send us, uh, send us all your pick sauce updates. Uh, uh, all right, I'll we'll do the awkward uh, uh, ending of the show. Bye, bye.
it's good to get back into the flow of things, Don. It is. Thanks for letting me take my uh, um, self-imposed hiatus. And oh, no. Good. It sounds I, like it was a good one for you. It was. It was. I think I, next time you should really try that email implementation. I think I will. I like I it. I want to see the pushback from people. Oh. Well, I bet you there's a way for me to do that in a way, like put an email rule out where if it's an NCSU email address, I would not mm-hmm. have that on there because those are like official things, oh, but oh. everyone else. Oh, okay. Inter- oh yeah. You could get in trouble as a department head. I might deleting emails that you were actionable. Yeah. 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 But, but still like, I, I think there's a way to manage that. Um. All right. So today is the 30th. Um. Would you, Look at what a good time to do this is. Would you be open to um, recording again with me? Uh, following our Food Covenet Leadership Weekly uh, discussion on the 12th of September, which is not now a bi-weekly meeting. Like at eleven thirty until I've got eleven thirty until one on September Monday, Monday September twelfth. Um, y- y- uh, uh, yes, I, yeah, I have I have a one o'clock meeting as well. So okay, I'm sure that food Kobe net is not going to go a whole week. So, no, or a whole a whole hour. So. Right. No, no, exactly. That's right. Like like we could do eleven to one. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. All right. Steve. That's in. It's a go. Um, cool. And I think so. Yeah, I think our next risky or not is not until the next week, right? Next, yeah, next Wednesday. Um, I was gonna ask you something. Oh, yeah. So and um, all right. I think that's the end of the after show. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>